0: Maybe big data has gotten too big. Whether you're a B2B marketer or a consumer brand, your data needs to be viable, relevant, and accessible so that Starista can help you retain customers, acquire customers, and make it personal.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ear. I'm Vin, the producer here at Starista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market, and we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, Renee Brown, the Chief Marketing Officer at iLending, discusses partnerships and a focus on digital advertising, and how both make a big difference for marketing. Vincent and AJ both enjoy traveling for conferences. Give it a listen.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Sturista's The Marketing Stir. I am your happy host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here at stirista It is so great to talk to you all. It's been... A while, it seems like. It's been a while since I've chatted with my co-host. We'll get uh, we'll get to him in a moment. He's He's been traveling a lot and he's missed a few uh, episodes and uh, I was hurt, I was very hurt by it. And we'll get to him in a moment, but let's talk about Starista just for 10 seconds. You know, this is not advertiser driven, this podcast. Let's just, we just talk about Starista for 10 seconds. We're a marketing technology company. We own our own business to business data, our own business to consumer data. We then help customers access that data to help them get new customers. We own our own DSP, our own ESP. It's a lot of acronyms I know, but just email me and I will tell you more about that. Vincent at starista.com. That is how confident I am. I just gave you my email address. And boy, do you listeners use it for a variety of reasons. And I so mostly I appreciate you telling me how great we are. That's nice. You also have guest suggestions. Uh, you also try to sell me a variety of things. But that's what I get for putting out my email address to all of our subscribers. It's okay. I'm happy about it. I'm also happy to have my co-host back, ladies and gentlemen. He was supposed to be here in New York City this week. And he had to move it one week for which I'm not going to be here. So yeah, that was the first strike the other and then he was traveling. So I had to go solo on one of the podcasts and then I brought in our very own Brian Gold on one of the podcasts. So, uh, but it's good to have him back. Ladies and gentlemen, live from San Antonio, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's up, AJ?
0: Hey, Vincent, it has been a little while. So thanks for, uh, keeping the, uh, flagship product going while I've been traveling
2: exactly yeah you're doing a lot of travel we're back at conferences you were at the beat retreat in puerto rico we by the time this airs we would have already been at ramp up in san francisco uh what a great conference that was i think it's you know hasn't happened yet but according to you but we, it's it's great we love uh, our friends there at, at uh live ramp and ramp up hey it can't be any
0: worse than the one right before covid a week before the whole national shutdown happened
2: that's right that i think is the last time maybe the last time i've been to ramp up myself was the that was in february end of february beginning of march of 2020 and then they were like oh uh we have one third of our attendees coming and everyone was like that was the birth of like the people doing like the elbow greeting and the foot i was yeah. like what do you why the foot that's weird like at least it's you know everyone had no one had open toe shoes on so that's good but yeah people were doing the foot but we'll be back there i remember and, there was one lady who uh
0: everybody else was still shaking hands and it was more of a joke the foot and all that and yeah. the elbow. The lady refused to shake hands and i was like wow she's a real weird one and now, then it uh, turned out uh, she was on something so. she was on. Uh,
2: yeah, on to something. But no, it's been back and a lot of people are going to be attended. And I will see you in San Francisco. So I will that will make up for you, uh, you know, abandoning me this uh, week. But yeah, it's I'm abandoning you. You'll I know be in, you'll be in New York City, but uh, I'm going to be in Mexico. So I'm not complaining. I'm going to come back with a nice tan. Yeah. I won't relax because I have two children. But again, it's still a vacation. It'll be fun. But it is great to have you. people often forget. You're a sensitive guy. Yeah, I think I am right. And people don't you know, I I put off this big macho vibe when people meet me because no, no, that's not the case, you know. Um, But yeah, you know, of course, I'm sensitive. Why not? It's good to be sensitive. But AJ, let me tell you, I am glad you're back, but I'm even gladder. Is that a word? Gladder? Happier? No, it's not a word. My guest is already saying it's not a word, but it's, you know, happier. I'm happier now because we have such an amazing guest. I had an opportunity to talk to her and I know our audience is just going to love her. Ladies and gentlemen, she is the chief marketing officer at iLending. My new friend, Renee Brown. What's going on, Renee?
1: Hey, it's a beautiful winter morning and uh, great to visit with both of you guys. So thanks for inviting me.
2: Oh, so we're happy to have you, Renee. I enjoyed our conversations in the past and I'm really you know, eager to uh, get your story out to our amazing listeners. And yeah, thank you for telling me that gladder is not a word. I, uh, you know, it's, it felt, it felt good. It felt good <laughs> coming out. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't know if that's a word, but hey, you know, we, the, the sentiment was there. The sediment was there.
1: They add words to the dictionary oh. every year. So yeah. might just be starting a trend.
2: That's the ultimate honor I think is getting a word into the dictionary, but that's awesome. Renee, it is so great to, to hear from you. I love your story. You know, I mean, iLending is, is such a cool company. Tell our listeners in your own words about iLending and of course, chief marketing officer, but tell me some of your day to day that you're doing there.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for the invitation. And iLending is an organization that works across the U.S. to save consumers money, which um, sounds like a a really fun thing, and it actually is. We are in the auto refinance business, and so 40% of consumers don't know that you can refinance your car loan. And so our company has been around since 2006, um, one of the oldest in this um, area. And what we do in marketing every day is find consumers with high-interest auto loans and uh, reach out to them and ask if they'd like to save some money. And um, we have uh, enjoyed saving consumers an average of 145 dollars per month on their auto, uh, uh, you know, loan. And uh, that adds up to real money. More than 2,000 dollars a year is is real money for um, consumers out there. I'm sure all of you can can relate. Even in this high interest environment, interest rate environment we're in, we are still saving consumers money every single day. Um, and you know, I've been in financial services marketing for more than 25 years, and I have, through a lot of my career, worked with the affluent segment. In this role, we're working with consumers who have more challenged credit, uh, subprime, midprime consumers, and um, it's a very interesting thing to actually reach out and help people in that situation because there's a lot of skepticism. There are a lot of consumers that have been tr- treated poorly by financial services companies. And to reach out and try to help them, you have to overcome skepticism because they don't trust financial services companies. And so anyway, um, our every day is trying to find consumers who need to save on their auto loan and helping helping to make that happen. We have about 50 lenders across the country and we can find rates that are really hard to find if you're just a consumer shopping around. So uh, that's my job every day is to to find consumers to help. And, and that's kind of a neat thing.
2: Yeah, no, I... I... You know, I was very intrigued with the with the company and with you, and uh, I'm glad you're sharing your story. You know, and, and Renee, I, I love your background. It's you know, it's financial services, uh, it's you know, healthcare, you know, and, and marketing, right? You've been into the marketing role. And a question that our listeners love hearing about is how you got started in marketing. Was it a direct path, or like most people, it was something different?
1: Tell us it about was it. something different. Um, when I was sixteen year old, uh, sixteen years old, I started in radio, um, and thought I was going to uh, follow a journalism path. I do have a face for radio, um, and. Uh, um, <laughs> no, no. And, and uh, what I learned pretty quickly is journalism is a really tough road. Um, and and um, instead, I, I thought I would uh, be a professor in college. So I went along that path. By the time I finished my master's, I was out of money and needed a job. So I exited with a master's in communication theory and what that is, a lot of mediation and, and how to communicate both in uh, business and personal situations. And I was hired by a small bank in Lake Charles, Louisiana, because I um, had mediation, and they had an agency that hated the CEO, but they were locked in a contract, and they really needed a mediator more than a marketer. And that's how I landed in marketing. So there you go. I'm a communications major that that wound up in marketing, and I've been in marketing ever since, um, with a lot of different banks and financial institutions. But also, as you mentioned, I, I took a stop in healthcare for a couple of years, and there are a lot of similarities um, between financial services and healthcare. Uh, we can talk about that if anyone's interested in that topic. But uh, but anyway, um, so how did I get into marketing? A little bit of happenstance, but it really fit um, what I enjoyed around how do you how do you uh, you know help with people communicating um, and matching people's needs with with uh, with what a cons- what a what a business is trying to to sell at any point in time. Renee, <clears throat> you've worked at uh, some pretty large
0: companies like Wells Fargo. Uh, But what do you enjoy about working at a startup and how is it different than some of the experiences you've had at bigger companies?
1: Yes, I've worked at Fortune 5 companies and then now at a startup. Um, There's a lot of things to love about larger organizations and there's a lot of things to recover from after you leave large organizations. One of the things that's very different with a startup or a smaller company is that um, we have a singular product or service that we sell, and so you have, everyone's focused on the same thing, the same goal, Um, and at larger companies, oftentimes, when they have many different product areas, you actually have internal marketing and competition to reach the same client across product groups, and so I was doing more internal shuttle diplomacy in a lot of my roles at large companies to get the work done. Um, t- today, that isn't needed at a smaller company when you're all focused on one goal, not many, many different goals and many different audiences. It, it just makes things a lot more simple. Also, smaller companies don't have the politics that large organizations have. Again, you're fighting for resources at larger organizations, so politics get much more at play, and it takes a lot of your energy, and so I love my energy really focusing on how do we beat the competition, how do we help consumers, how do we get smarter and faster, um, and, and not that internal kind of stuff. Um, so th- those are a couple of differences, and, and um, it's, it's really been great to be at a smaller company. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's back to doing marketing and, and less of the, some of the other diplomacy you have at large companies. Great.
0: And you've been in the financial services in particular for a long time, so, and you've seen kind of the digital has evolved. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how that's expanded? Uh, affected the financial services industry and what's changed?
1: Well, um, yes, I, I predate email in my career. So <laughs> there, there you go, uh, stating my age. I, I remember a time when there were inter-office memos and not emails. Um, and so, yes, digital has has taken over uh, not only how financial services companies help consumers, but how consumers take in information and, and it's changed expectations. Um, and so when I think of things early in my career, um, I will say direct mail was huge as I started. So being on press checks and, and doing all the QC of direct mail was early in my career. And honestly, that is back now. Uh, direct mail is one of the best channels that we have in my business today, because we can extend firm offers that are very personalized and people's mailboxes are not as full as they once were. And so you have less competition in the mailbox. So that's one example of where what's old is new again in marketing. Um, But the difference in direct mail today is we do retargeting today. So if we send out a million pieces of mail, we can probably send out 750,000 emails because we have those email addresses. And then you can retarget them on Facebook and other social media channels and on their Google searches and, and that sort of thing. And so that really increases Is the productivity and the efficiency and effectiveness of direct mail is the digital component. Um, But overall, as you think about the changes that have happened um, in, in the world of digital, I would say in the around 2010, as social media started really becoming part of all of our lives, consumers have given up all of their privacy. Uh, willingly and, and not even realizing it because social media started very in an innocuous way and people were sharing what they were eating and reading and just every moment of every day, not really being clear that these companies were buying their data, buying their behavioral information and selling it. Now consumers are a little bit more aware, but still you see people, particularly kids, younger people, give up so many elements of privacy. What it's good for for marketers is we can really hone in on some behavioral things and really target consumers better, Um, but at the same time, that feeling of privacy is is really a false sense of security, and it's because of the way that we interact digitally, and our ability to really track a consumer is, is substantial. I know a lot of consumers dislike the retargeting advertising, but it's part of our everyday where if you express interest in a car or, or you know, any kind of product or service, it will chase you around for a long time because people know um, what your behaviors are. And that can be very good. Um, <clears throat> and, and it also has its limitations. And so, um, you know, I would say financial services now has a lot more great data on consumers to better target consumers and the, I think the problem with financial services is the expectations of consumers continue to grow and grow. Um, and I think financial services is still behind on how do we educate consumers, make them smarter, make them not have to work as hard, make things easier to understand. Um, so I think all areas of financial services still have a lot, we have a lot of work to do to improve. Um, so those are just some of my thoughts uh, probably any one of those areas we can spend 30 minutes talking about.
2: Yeah, no, I, I love the insight and, you know, and I, you and I have a few things in common where I, you know, communications, right. And, and kind of find myself in, in marketing now, I think it's like a nice transition in, in listening to you talk and then you're right. It's like the, you know, direct mail, what's old is new again. In a lot of ways, I was just at a, an event where they were kind of this consulting group was kind of talking about, you know, 2023 and you're right, it's, it's that direct mail. A lot of people were home, right? Those business executives were not in the office. So how do you still reach them, for example? That's that's one way. So I, I love hearing that. The QR code too, remember that, Renee? Like the QR code about seven years ago, people were like, I'm not scanning this. I don't know, what, what's gonna happen?
1: Yeah. And,
2: uh, and now you got everyone using the QR yeah. code.
1: You can thank COVID for that. Yeah. And- the restaurant's using, you know, so every consumer knows knows how to use a QR code now. Yep. Um, I, I thought QR codes were dead. They're not. So. I, I
2: thought so, too. And Now, if you looked at some of the Super Bowl commercials, everyone yep. had a QR code.
1: Yep. Everyone,
2: almost everyone had a QR code. It's interesting to see. But let, let's get back to some of the, you know, it is a marketing podcast. Let's talk about that marketing, right? You know, you're using, utilizing direct mail. W- what are some other channels that you're using to, to market to? this audience, and this audience is really, like you said, people who are in the market, uh, who already have a car, maybe it's maybe they already have a loan on it, maybe they've owned the car for a few years, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so um, our marketing mix, of course, I, I mentioned direct mail, we focus on partnerships a whole lot, so we partner with large aggregator organizations who have uh, web presences, such as a, a lending tree, as an example, uh, where consumers are out researching on financial matters, and our ability to uh, find out that they have a vehicle and information on them and then be able, if they express interest in, in a refinance, be able to reach out to them and, and, and help them out. We probably, we have more than 70 partners. And so that's a big part of what my team does. You know, how do we partner with people in the automotive industry and in the financial industry, other industries to, to find these consumers? Um, the other space, of course, is, is digital advertising, social, as well as, you know, uh, pay-per-click and 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 that that space is, is a huge focus for us. Um, you know, the way that people are searching for terms is critical. If somebody searches auto refinance, we want to be the first name that pops up um, so that they research us uh, prior to any of, of the competition out there. And the pay-per-click space is really interesting because you can see how uh, an area gets a whole lot of interest at certain times in a market cycle, and then it can drop off. And a lot about how much people are paying for those search terms is, is a very interesting leading indicator on how the overall industry is performing. So my, my team does really performance marketing. Um, all of our loan consultants, um, every time the phone rings, it's because of something we've done in marketing. And so that's another, um, a little bit of a difference being at a smaller company. I sit with our loan consultants. If they're having a good day, I know it. And if they're having a slow day, I also know it. So I get immediate feedback. Whereas at larger companies, sometimes you don't get feedback uh, that quickly and and that's a good thing for our marketing team because if things are slow we can start adjusting what we're doing from a marketing standpoint and and that's pretty fun so that's that's a little bit about what what we're up to every day is really um, uh, having the phones ring and and i'd like to say one other thing um, when you think about consumers there are consumers who have gotten in financial trouble um, and we're seeing that more and more um, now as, as this, you know, economic cycle continues to be very, very odd. Um, but some consumers actually go to payday lenders, and they, you know, put their car up in a situation like that. And we've seen consumers with 155% interest rate on their car. And I, you know, being with a larger financial institution, you know, being a predatory lender, you hear that term, and I'm like, oh, there aren't many, there are a lot of those out there. And so it 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 was a big eye opener for me and those are some of the consumers we can help the most to get out of those crazy loans and those loans are happening every day. Um so anyway, just a just something for you to be aware yeah. of.
2: No, that's interesting. And 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 you know, you've heard it here first folks. It's uh it's it's a problem out there. You know, for me I was a little naive to it because I don't own a car. I live in Manhattan and I haven't owned a car in about 11 years, 12 years and <laughs> I also didn't think, I was like, oh, wait, interest rates are high on homes, but that also uh, in, uh, on home loans uh, that I didn't re- had you know, connect the correlation through auto loans. So yeah. talk to us about how you've navigated that, Renee, in these last few years. Is it you know helped your business or meaning in the sense that you could help people more because of that?
1: Well, it's actually uh, narrowed our our focus. We're really focusing on subprime consumers now that have interest rates above ten percent. We can still help them. Um, back before interest rates were were rising, we could help somebody with a seven percent or a five percent get down to a two. Well, you know, the opening rate is around five percent now. So it, it's, it's narrowed our audience. Um, but what I would say is right now what's happening with rates being so high, every day somebody's buying a car, and right now they're getting very high rates. So in nine months, we'll be able to help them refinance as rates come back down. So it's all a cycle. So we, we see it you know, kind of taking the longer viewpoint on, on how we can help out.
0: <clears throat> well, here's a fun question for you. This is a question we ask all of our guests. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of LinkedIn messages, and uh, a lot of them are unsolicited. Actually, probably most of them are. Uh, What's a message that really annoys you, and what's one that'll get a response from you?
1: Thank you for that question. I have noticed so many more cold call kind of emails through LinkedIn. Um, I don't respond if it's just a vendor that doesn't have a connection to somebody in my network or some other understanding of the business. Um, So what I look for and what I would respond to is if somebody's taken the time to find a connection in my network and have them do an introduction. If a friend in my network introduces someone, I will have a meeting, even if I don't need the product, service, whatnot. Um, But if it's a cold um, you know, intro that doesn't have any relevance, I I will not respond to it. And I've seen some really creative ones recently where they'll pick up that I worked in you know, uh, you know, volunteer time here or there, or the college I graduated from, and those those will get my attention. But even now, you kind of wonder if ChatGPT is writing some of those. You know, <laughs> it probably, yeah. you know. Is it really um, is it really somebody taking the time, or is it some kind of AI actually, you know, helping these these folks? Um, so um, yeah, I, I appreciate if somebody does a warm connection as opposed to uh, what we see so often out there.
0: Yeah, our, our Slack channel is being flooded by Chat GPT stuff, and uh, some of our data and engineering guys find it really funny, and sometimes I can't tell when they have typed it themselves,
1: so. <laughs> yes, it's it's real. And and there's a lot of positives to, to the, that AI technology, but uh, also some downsides.
0: So, you know, you've talked about kind of uh, uh, having worked in the financial industry in a long time. Uh, what's been a favorite campaign of yours that you've really enjoyed working on? And I'm sure there's so many to pick
1: from. Yes, yes. I, um, some of some of the ones I've enjoyed the most has has been have been the hardest. And those I, I mentioned earlier are around, you know, financial education. Um, we don't educate our children about anything in financial services. Um, kids leave um, high school and even college not knowing oh. the basics of the stock market, not understanding the need for savings, understanding Social Security, you know, some basics. Um, and so a lot of the campaigns that I've worked on have that I've enjoyed have been around how can we educate Give tools and uh, remediate consumers on on matters of finances. In fact, one important um, stat is only nine percent of consumers have a financial plan of any type. So nine percent of consumers have a financial plan. That's frightening. Um, even if it's on a on a just a, a scribbled out on a napkin, people need to have a financial plan. And so the work I've done in that space through the years has been some of the the. The ones that have uh, made me feel like I'm making a difference, even if we only touch, you know, a thousand consumers. Just knowing those thousand people will be more prepared for the next downturn or for the next opportunity have ahead of them is is um, awesome.
2: Renee, let's get back to eye I- lending. I want to talk about what separates eye lending from the competitors.
1: Yeah, I would say a a couple of things. Um, Our loan consultants are trained um, and often are poached from some of our competitors because of the training. And so we really um, teach. They really understand the automotive space and um, understand the best way to hang alone with the right lender. And so our people is our number one differentiator, um, is one thing I would say. Um, but the other thing is is, um, you know, the ratings we get from consumers, we have like a 4.8 out of five star rating. And so what that takes is knowing, you know, how to serve a customer, how to make sure that what we're doing is in their best interest at all times. Um, and, and, you know, again, we have to fight, um, disbelief. Are you really trying to help us save money or what's the, what's the catch? Um, and so a lot of what our loan consultants have to do every day is, is make sure the consumers know, um, you know, why we do what we do and, and how we can help them. So it's, it's really our people and our service are, are the differentiator. And, you know, we, we touched upon it,
2: but. It's it's uh, unique in the sense. Well, you, there's obviously other areas that you focused on, but a lot of your career, the financial services, mm-hmm. the marketing. What what kind of drew you to that?
1: Well, you know, as I got into marketing um, and and started to to learn more about the balance. Um, you know, Threading a needle is always an interesting thing. It's like a puzzle, I find, because if you have um, the, the broader view of marketing, some marketers are all about promotion. I, I really like looking at the full scope of product pricing, promotion, and the distribution or place, those four Ps. Um, and, and that puzzle is one of the hardest to really solve, particularly at larger organizations. Sometimes larger companies have money to launch a product but there's, they're, they're trying to find a problem to solve, like the product is not really solving a consumer challenge. And so that makes marketing really hard. Um, so trying to help make the product and pricing really fit a consumer need and then being able to promote it successfully has always been the that sweet spot in the middle of those four three things has kind of been my specialty and what I enjoy most. Um, it, it's not easy because I have had situations where, you know, the, you like you've heard the term lipstick on a pig um you know the the product just isn't sellable and and that's a challenge of marketing because good marketers will say you don't need to spend a penny on this product we need to get the product right before we try to market this thing um and and relying on consumer data and consumer research um to do that is mission critical and so having a little bit more of a, a background in quantitative research has also been helpful to you know because if you can let the consumer speak for you it, your job is easier in marketing you don't have to just say this isn't this dog won't hunt <laughs> instead you could t- have the consumer say that sorry i'm doing all my country colloquialisms for you guys
2: well no, <laughs> i appreciate it as i'm a city kid so uh, i'm like this is <laughs> great i love these yeah uh, that's awesome yeah and uh also just wanted to focus on you know the Something that separates you, Renee, like the way you approach marketing in your career, that's kind of been a game changer for you.
1: Well, you know, in addition to finding those win-win um, scenarios, I mean, I, I think, you know, you can work with any situation as long as you and the team you're working with are all pointed at the same goal. Um, that's That's been one of the the. Most important parts of my career is finding out where the win win is. Um, but, you know, um, there are a lot of people, uh, particularly, let's say, people in finance or even some CEOs that think there is a magic to marketing um, like there's pixie dust, like somebody has this special something that no one knows about. It's a secret, it's a magic bullet. That doesn't exist. And so, Marketing is just a lot of hard work and making sure you have the right portfolio of marketing, um, you know, tools in your in your arsenal to reach the right client at the right time with the right message. And so that hard work side of marketing has always been. Um, what I've leaned on, and um, and and less about the this magical big idea. Now there are a lot of companies that have come across magical big ideas, but they've had a really good product in addition to having some great and creative ideas. But in in financial services, and when the time I spent in healthcare, it's a lot of hard work to reach the right person at the right time through the right channel. So um, being a hard worker, I guess, is is the answer. Randy, what are some of the channels that you are actively focusing on right now? Well, um, our digital channel is is key right now. Um, the other thing that we're focusing on is it in this space where our market has, has really uh, gotten a lot smaller um, to just that subprime consumer, we're actually leaning in on the data side of things to go back a year, a little bit longer to consumers. Um, that we know we can help and for whatever reason we're not able to reach them and so we're looking at um, you know new ways to reach out um, and and get in touch with those consumers Um, so it's really really leaning in on data and figuring out based on what we know about these consumers what's the best way to reach them right now to get them to respond and 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 work with us so that's um, I would say we're really getting back to the the data side and then figuring out from that data how to best reach consumers that haven't you know haven't connected with us for whatever reason and, well, we and I data. Said this, one, one quick thing, I haven't said this before, but, you know, marketing is only as good as the data you have. So, um, you know, I've been lucky to work at large companies that own databases of every consumer in America. Well, this company does not have that, um, but there are other ways to get the right data that you need. And so having really smart people in your data group is one of the most critical things um, for a marketing organization to be successful. But I interrupted you, AJ, sorry.
0: No, I, I love that uh, as, a, as a data company. I, I like that uh, sentence you <laughs> had. <laughs> um, so, what's uh, Renee, your favorite part of your job?
1: Working with the people. Um, you know, I I um, am one. We we've been in the office through the pandemic. And there is a lot to be said for hybrid working or remote working. um, But there's also a lot to be said on the types of conversations you have in person um, with people. And so I I find those some of to be some of the richest um, dialogues. And so marketing, in my opinion, is only as good as the marketers you have on your team. Marketing is very people intensive. Yes, there's a lot of data use and digital use and that sort of thing. But what's behind all that are people making smart choices on the audience segments and the timing of campaigns and that sort of thing. And so to be able to encourage and engage your marketing team to perform at at their highest is is one of my favorite things to do. And, And for example, right now we have a a very young marketer on our team. And recently there was an opportunity for her to step into a broader role and to see a a young person just kind of bloom and take off and learn a whole new space and, and take it further than you even thought they could. Is one of the, the coolest things I get to do as a marketing leader. So it's working with the people and figuring out how to maximize each person's skill set to do what needs to be done to support the business. So that's always been my favorite, whether I've had teams of 200 or a team of five, um, the people are what really I get jazzed up about every day.
2: Yeah, we, we love hearing that. Renee, let's get to, as we're about to wrap, let's get to know you. You know, uh, personally, some of the, your hobbies, what you like to do, your, your, your uh, LSU grad, the Tigers, the you know, yes. world champs of a few years ago, shout out to Joe Burrow, he doesn't listen to the podcast, but you know what I mean. And what brought you from, uh, you know, going to school down there to, to the Colorado area, tell us about what you like to do in your spare time
1: as well yeah absolutely so yes I am an LSU graduate go Tigers and yes Joe Burrow love love him um, hate hate they didn't make the Super Bowl but uh, that Super Bowl was a great game so mm-hmm. um, uh, so yes so I um, I spent 25 years in Louisiana. Um, starting out, and that's my home state. And then I spent 25 years in North Carolina. Those were my years working with Wachovia and Wells Fargo. And now I'm um, in Colorado um, following the, the role I'm I'm serving in today. Um, I am very lucky to have a terrific daughter who's at Boston College, so much closer to you, Vincent. Yeah. Um, she's a sophomore studying pre-med, so you can tell that she saw enough about marketing to not go down the path of the for <laughs> whatever that's worth um, she'll, she'll impact a lot more lives, uh, in medicine, I, I'm assuming. Um, and, and so for fun, I, I love, um, I love people as you could probably tell. So cooking is one of my favorite things and, uh, you know, it, it life is good. Entertaining and cooking is my thing, which is a little bit being a Cajun. I think it comes with the territory.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's proud, proud mom. Great. You know, uh shout out to Boston college up here and, yep. you know, Northeast, yeah. So you're probably uh, you're probably up here every once in a while. I mean, you know, I'm New York, but I'm a it's a you know, a couple hour uh, Amtrak ride away to Boston. That's uh, that's amazing. And Renee, a closing thought, something you'd love to leave our audience with, just some thoughts, uh, uh, some final words.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the the thing I would impress upon folks who are in marketing. Um, A growth mindset is something that's absolutely needed. And I've noticed that people, as they go through their career, sometimes can develop a very fixed mindset where they feel like there's only a finite opportunity set or a finite ability to impact the business. And I think for the marketing organizations in any industry, having a growth mindset, being the one on the leadership team saying, you know, it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both. Um, you know, we, we could actually take this market segment, not just make a small impact, but make a huge impact. So I think the role of that growth mindset leader is the role of the chief marketing officer and their entire organization. And so uh, ha- having and maintaining a growth mindset and maintaining that glass is half full and finding the opportunity, even in the most difficult situations, um, you've probably seen the best brands take negative situations and turn them into a positive. And so in so many ways, the role of marketing is to find how the glass is half full and how do you, um, you know, beat a challenging economic environment like we have today um, and find that consumer and, and do that thing that will drive the business. So growth mindset is the most important um, you know uh, mental state of any marketing person. So that that would be what I would leave you with.
2: We love it, you know, words of wisdom. We really appreciate it, Renee. And ladies and gentlemen, check out ilending.com, ilending. I wish I knew about ilending. My very first car that I bought when I was about 22 years old was a Nissan Altima and I had a 10% interest rate and I wish I would have known. true story. And uh, that's when my credit wasn't so great. It's fantastic now, people, so don't get it twisted there. But it's uh, a great credit score. But I remember 10%, uh, and I wish I had something like this. True, true story. Uh, but I haven't owned a car since. But for those of you out there, own a car, uh, you know have those high interest rates, check out iLending. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. That's Renee Brown, the Chief Marketing Officer of iLending. That's AJ Gupta. We're so happy he's back. I, of course, am Vincent Petrofessa. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us at themarketingstir@starista.com. And thanks for listening.